So I'm bringing you guys a message this morning that um, I actually preached in Kashkaj way back in March, but like pre-COVID March. It was cool because the church was full of people and there was no masks. So that was a long time ago. It feels like a lifetime ago now. But this message came as a follow-up to our annual theme. So Riverside, as you know, is it's a, it's a, how do you call it? We have now several churches, several campuses. It's a? Federation, yeah, it seems so formal, that word. But yes, it's a federation of churches. And so as, uh, as leaders and as pastors, um, each pastor from around Portugal and our different campuses, they decided on a theme for this year. So 2020 is the year of revival. That was the theme of this year, revival. And so as a follow-up to that um, new theme of the year, right in the beginning of the year, I preached this message. Um, the theme, or the, th the slogan of this theme is revival. It begins in my heart. It starts with us. And so the premise of this whole theme of the year is that we can't change the world unless we change ourselves. And a lot of times we pray and we ask for revival, revival, revival. And I don't know what people are expecting of revival. Maybe they think it's like a big movement, a big wave that's going to come over the earth. But really, revival doesn't happen if each of us is not being revived. Agreed? If it's not changing your heart, if you're not the one changing, then revival is not going to happen. Revival is when every single one of us in this room is revived for the, the work of the Lord, for the kingdom of God. And then that's when revival floods the earth. So obviously the, the idea is that our journey, our personal walk with God, of course, is of the utmost importance. If you and the Lord are not on the same page, and if you're not allowing the Lord to speak to you, to mold you, to change you, then revival's never going to happen. You're never going to change the world. But today, as we go forward, we want to understand that unless you accept Jesus as your Savior, as, unless the Holy Spirit is guiding your day to day, you can sit in this church forever and ever, and you won't be changed and you won't be moved and the world won't change around you. So the idea is that accepting Jesus makes you a Christ follower. So anyone in this room who's already accepted Jesus in their life, you are a Christ follower. But when you are with the body of believers, when you are in this group of people, you become the church. We, a group of people of the same faith, are the church. We, the church, are often referred to as the body of Christ, okay? So in my, my message is titled, Becoming the Bride of Christ, and we're going to get there. But most of us don't really think about this word or this phrase too often. We think about being the body of Christ. That's what most often people refer to as the church. So let's read in Ephesians, where it speaks about being the body of Christ, okay? So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Again, in Corinthians, you read, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So we know that we are the body of Christ. We've heard that so much. But did you also know that we've been called to be the bride of Christ? 
So I know that men aren't brides, okay? So it's difficult to relate to this one. Everyone can relate to being the body of Christ. But I think for men, it's hard to relate to being the bride of Christ. I understand that. But the truth is, Scripture tells us, male and female, we, the church, are called to be the bride of Christ. There's many, many references, and I'll only share with you a few today. There's many references in the Bible of God calling us his bride. Here's the thing, though. Somehow in the 21st century, now the 2020 year we live in, I think believers need such a reminder of this truth, that what it means to be the bride of Christ. Because somehow, between the New Testament church and today, we've lost this idea of being a unified body. I think Christians today are so wrapped up in the Christian experience, the me experience. Me and God, my walk with God, my journey. We talk a lot about my journey, my walk. And we've lost somehow this idea that we are a unified body, that we are one. We've encapsulated our Christianity into a one-person experience. It is a personal journey. Of course it's a personal journey. Like I already said, if you don't change yourself, if you and God aren't on the same page, nothing's going to change. But you were not called to live on your own. We were not called to live this Christianity by ourselves. And we know this because God said we would be presented as the bride. That's singular. Not the brides. He said in his word, we will be presented as the bride. So today I'd like to unpack three really important questions for you guys as we discover what it means to become the bride of Christ. The first question is, who is the bridegroom? The second question is, why must the bride be ready? And the third question is, how must the bride prepare herself? Okay? So I want you guys, especially the boys, to really think of yourselves as the bride of Christ, but in the sense of being the church, of being the, the body of Christ. So the first order of business, before we even answer those questions, is if you don't know that you're a bride, you have no need to go to an altar. And what do I mean by this? If you're unaware of your identity, if you're unaware of your purpose, if you're unaware of your reason for living, then you will make no provision for where you are going. If you don't know who you are, you have no idea where you're going. There's a famous quote that says this, if you don't know where you're going, you'll probably end up somewhere else. And then there's a more dangerous quote that says, if you don't know where you are going, any road will take you there. And as Christians, that's not what we've been called to do to accept Christ as our Savior and then just see where the road takes us. God is very, very specific in his word about what happens and what is the standard for his church. Jesus himself said this, and he was so clear in, in, on this topic, that throughout the Bible, throughout his time with us on earth, he mentioned this several times. Can we read in Matthew where Jesus himself said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Somebody also asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? And he replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. What Jesus is saying in these verses is that not everyone is in. 
Not everyone is in the cool kids club. Not everyone is the bride of Christ. There is a very specific standard for the church of Jesus. First, you have to know who you are. But secondly, you've got to live and look the part of the bride of Christ. I don't want you to be mistaken thinking that what we are doing here today and what we are doing with Christians around the world is just a hangout. This that we're doing now is not a fun social gathering. And we don't come to church, as you know, just because it's on our agenda. This church, being church, is our calling. This is, this is our future. This house that we're in is the house of our Father, but it's the house of our beloved Jesus. He's our betrothed. He's the one we are promised to as the bride of Christ. I want you to just remind yourselves, if you ever watched the channel TLC, you will know that there's a show called I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant. Have you ever heard of that show, I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant? Did you know that there's people who don't know they're pregnant and they only find out the day that they deliver a baby? So can you imagine that you wake up with a stomach ache one day and then by noon you've had a baby with no preparation? Because normally I have two kids, two babies, and I had nine months for each of them to prepare. And boy, mothers these days, 2020 moms, have a lot of preparation. Nowadays, you've got everything from books, apps, gadgets, vitamins, birthing classes, therapy, pregnant Pilates, I never took that, baby showers, belly painting photo shoots, so important, the beach photo shoots with like the nice dress that flows in the wind, yeah. So moms prepare for babies big time, okay? Nowadays, it's a full-time job preparing to be a mother. But can you imagine if it just happened from one day to the next? You have no clothes, no crib, you haven't taken folic acid for nine months. That's absolute panic. But now, imagine, friends, if Jesus came back today. Are we ready to be his bride? Are we ready to be presented to him before God? Like I said, if you don't know that you're having a wedding, you won't be ready for the altar. And if you didn't already know, Jesus is coming back. It's not a matter of if he's coming back. It's a matter of when he's coming back. I'd like, I see some people are taking notes, and if you have your phone or if you have a notebook, I just want you to just write this sentence and this question so that you can really dwell on it for the rest of the, of the week. What would you do differently, or how would you live differently if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow morning? What would you do and how would you live if you knew Jesus was coming back? So the same way that a, a bride prepares for her wedding, a mother prepares for her baby, are we, the bride of Christ, preparing for Jesus' return? The Bible says that we've been promised to Jesus. It says that we are his bride church. And what we're doing right now in our time on earth is called a time of engagement, a time of betrothal. There are many cultures here represented, so I know this will be true for some of your cultures. But in some cultures, in some countries, when somebody is betrothed or engaged to someone, there is usually a time of separation. There is usually some weeks or months. In Western culture, we just separate for a few days. I didn't see Reuben for like two days before I married him. But some cultures do that for a lot longer. That's what we're doing right now. As the Church of Christ on Earth, we are in a betrothal period. And what is that time used for? Why are we separated from our 
loved one before we marry them. Because it's a time of preparation. Because that's when, especially brides, are getting themselves ready. I remember the few days before my wedding. There was just such a buzz around those days. There was such an excitement. There was such a, there was such a hope for what was about to happen. And I was so busy. I was picking up my dress. I was doing last-minute workouts, as if that's going to help. I was on a strict diet because I had to fit my dress. I was enjoying my last days with my mom, my dad, my sister Gabby, and my sister Taher. There was a real big buzz around those days. There was an expectation. And my other question for you today, if you want to take a note, imagine if the church lived in this expectancy. How would the church of God around the world look different if they lived in this expectation? The same hope, the same buzz, the same excitement that a bride lives right before her wedding. Would we be different? Would we live differently if we lived in that excitement? I think sometimes we fall asleep. We forget that Jesus is coming back. We get accustomed to our routines, to our day-to-day. -day. We get accustomed to our lives, to our jobs. We forget what our main calling is. And our main calling is that we are the bride of Christ. Our main calling is that we've been saved for something so much bigger, for something so much more exciting, for an eternity with our loved one. And so here, our time on earth is a preparation time is a time when we're getting ourselves ready. And we're going to talk more about what it, practically what it's like and how we should become prepared to be the bride of Christ. But before that, I need to answer this question with you. So we've already talked about him, but the question is, who is our bridegroom? Jesus is our bridegroom. Jesus saved us. Eternity is guaranteed. Yes? If you've been saved, do you believe that eternity is guaranteed for you? That you're going to be with him one day in heaven. So a lot of people just sit on that part. I've been saved, eternity's guaranteed. Why then is there such a high standard for the bride, for us? Why then must we do anything different if that's already guaranteed? But my answer for you this morning is, the standard is so high because of who the groom is. Because of who the groom is. Because Jesus is our groom. That's why the standard is so high. That's why we can't just be the same way that we are. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. But First Peter says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. End of story. Yeah? Why do we have to be holy? Because Jesus is holy. In the same way that God created a helpmate... In Genesis, we read about God creating a helpmate that was suitable for Adam. So we are also in a process right now as a bride of Christ of becoming suitable for Jesus. God is trying to do a transformational work in your life to make you more suitable for Jesus. I want you to be real honest with yourself and say, today, right now, am I a suitable partner for Jesus? Am I a suitable person to walk down that aisle? Am I ready for that encounter? God says that he created helpmates suitable for Adam in his likeness. What that means is that he was making someone that is appropriate or fitting or satisfactory or acceptable. So then the spotless character of the bride is to resemble the spotless nature of her groom. How embarrassing, how uncomfortable would it be? Let's imagine that today is wedding day at Riverside Lisbon. Have you guys ever had a wedding here yet? Like, in here? Oh, that would be so cool. One day it's going to happen, okay? 
I'm just excited to see how it's going to happen. But one day, you're going to have a beautiful wedding here. Imagine walking through those beautiful doors. Here's the groom, and comes in a bride whose dress is tainted and raggy and ripped, and she looks really bothered. You know, like, imagine if a bride walked down the aisle rather with a smile, but like, I can't believe I have to do this. That kind of attitude. How many Christians are in a, ugh, I can't believe I have to do this attitude when they read the word? Yeah, you open the word, it tells you exactly. It says, be holy because I am holy. Ugh, I can't believe I have to do this. That would be embarrassing. That would be uncomfortable to stand before such a spotless, beautiful, handsome groom. And we're so dirty and ashamed and awkward and embarrassed of who we are. Something that really strikes me and is so important to me to never lose sight of, but I think that many of us do this, and I've done this too, is that we often see Jesus on a really personal level. Yeah, we make Jesus really approachable. He's like, have you ever heard people say Jesus is your homie? Yeah, we've made him our homie. We've made him our bro. But we forget our reverence. We forget the respect. We lose sight of his majesty. Like Jesus is up here, guys. He is our Savior, we do have a personal relationship with him, don't get me wrong, but we can never lose our awe. We can never lose our respect. We can never lose that zeal, that reverence for him. He is holy, we cannot forget. There is a standard, he is holy, and we too must be holy. One day, the church of Christ will be presented as the bride. And again, I wanna repeat this, collectively, as one body, as one unit, will be presented. But the nature of our personal relationship with God and the fact that we have free choice makes it that we either count ourselves in or out of that group. In Matthew, Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. So rightly understood, and this is important that we're all on the same page, the bride is not an elite group of Christians that was chosen. The bride will be a few in number, and the word says that, that not all will be accounted for, not all will enter, just as it said there in Matthew, not all will enter the kingdom of God. But it's not because a few invitations were sent. It's because a few people chose to answer. To be part of the bride of Christ, you need to answer that call and start following Jesus in the way he himself has already gone. The bride are those who will shine with brightness and purity and holiness. So be holy as he is holy. The second question we need to answer this morning is why must the bride be ready? Why do we have to be ready? The word of God is very clear. Because the groom is waiting for you to be ready. If you know your groom is waiting, and if you've been married, I don't know if you were the bride that was super early, super late, or just on time. I've heard all kinds of stories. Growing up as the pastor's kid, we went to tons of weddings. And there was the brides who were super late, the ones who were super early, which is amazing, and then there's those that are just on time. But your groom is waiting. That's disrespectful to make your groom wait at, on your wedding day, especially if it's a really long wait. But the, re- the reason why we have to become ready, church. The reason we can't just sleep through it and wait until that day comes, because Jesus is waiting. The word says that it's only when the bride is ready, only when the bride is spotless and clean and pure will we be taken to our groom. 
Jesus is waiting for us to undergo, undergo the makeover process, the transformational work. He's waiting for us to get the work done. Another reason why we must be ready is because those who are not ready will not get to go. It's as simple as that. Those who are not ready will not get to go. So it's important that we don't lose sight of that. It's important we don't become lazy and apathetic. Because like I said, the day is, not, is coming, and it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And so that means that every day you have to live as if it was going to happen today. And I really wanted you to stay with that food for thought for the rest of the week. How would I be living differently if I knew it was happening? But I'd really like us to go to a text in the Bible, and rather than me reading it, we're going to watch a little video that's going to tell us about the importance of this preparation. So we're going to draw some lessons from Matthew 25. And the version that they're reading in this video is quite old school, but you'll get it. It's, it's a little bit old, more old school than I would choose, but it's nice to hear it being said and narrated. So let's just watch that. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, to buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. They that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch, therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Right, so we have five foolish bridesmaids. In some versions, that they're called the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. But the five foolish Bridesmaids, they knocked on the door and pleaded, let us in, but it was too late. They were not prepared. It's important to give you a little bit of cultural context because sometimes we hear parables our whole life and we don't really understand the cultural context of them, so they don't really make much sense. But the cultural context here is to understand that the five foolish bridesmaids, they were not excluded because the door was locked. It wasn't because they were too late. It wasn't also because the host didn't recognize them. They were friends. They had been chosen for that role. 
But the reason why they were locked out is because what they did was an insult to the bride and groom. Because to become a bridesmaid, to be chosen as one of the bridesmaids was a great honor to the family. And a great dishonor is to not be prepared. They didn't do their part. So what they did was they spoiled that event. They spoiled the wedding. They spoiled the feast because they failed to do their part. So in this particular parable, and I think this gets distorted a lot of times, people always read the part of some were sleeping and some were awake, or it, that's not true. As you read and as you heard, everyone was sleeping. The part wasn't about the slumber. That's not the part that was wrong. The issue is that some were not watchful enough to have sufficient oil. When the time came that all were called to the wedding feast, only five of them were prepared. So, as I've said, our time here, waiting for Jesus' second coming, is a time of preparation. And as we get ourselves prepared, or as we allow the Lord to prepare us, the idea is that we should be allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us through this makeover, through this transformational process. His idea is that he, we're allowing him to purify us, to build us, in the measure of the fullness of Christ, so that we become like our groom, in his likeness. The idea is that we are to submit to the working of the Holy Spirit. That is the refining work of God. Don't believe that your time here on earth is just for nothing. This is a time of refining, of God doing the work. And the time is short, but there is still grace. And there is still time for the bride to prepare herself. Another very important question with regards to the preparation is, why do we have to be a pure bride? And we've already answered it by saying, because Jesus is holy, but I've got another aspect to this answer. Why do we have to be pure? Because we exist to point people to Jesus. We must remain pure and holy. As a body, as a bride, as a group, we have to remain holy. We have to be set apart as chosen people. Remember Romans 12 that it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be renewed, transformed by the renewing of your mind. In John, it says this, by this you will know, no, by this they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In the version called NLT, it says, your love for one another will prove that you are my disciples. So we are to point people to Jesus. And if the church doesn't look the part, if the bride doesn't look like the bride, then nobody will know who our groom is. If our actions don't reflect that. On any wedding day, the bride stands out. Why does she stand out? She's the most beautiful. She's the most spotless. She wears different clothes than anyone else. She's known for her radiance. So we too are to stand out for our radiance, for our beauty, for our cleanliness. We are to stand out for our spotless and pure nature. I want you to read with me this quote by Sinclair Ferguson. Look at this. It is misleading to say that he accepts us the way we are. Rather, he accepts us despite the way we are. He receives us only in Christ and for Christ's sake. Nor does he mean to leave us the way he found us, but to transform us into the likeness of his son. Wow, God is so good. God is so good that he doesn't want to leave you the way you are. He wants to transform you, wants to change you. And guess what? He's only doing that because of his son. Because you are the chosen bride for his son. And he doesn't want his son to have any less than he deserves. Has someone ever said to you, 
there's something different about you. Somebody who's not a believer. Somebody who says, ah, oh, there's something so special about you. I don't know, like your vibe, you know, right? People say about the vibes and the energies. Like your energy is so cool, man. I don't know what it is, but it's really cool. That is God's radiance, God's refining work coming out. That's Jesus' light coming out. But I really urge us as the church, let's not give the world a reason to think any different. Because we've often heard this as well. Oh, those Christians? No way. Don't do business with them. Don't get involved with them. They're all the same. We have heard people say, oh, church, oh, that place is filled with hypocrites. I don't want to go there. And that is not the purpose of the bride of Christ. That is not what God intended. That's not what he's expecting from us. One time Reuben said this and it stuck with me. He said, don't be the church that ruins church. Wow. Riverside Lisbon, don't you be the church that ruins church. Don't you be the people that cause someone to say, oh, don't go there. Oh, that place, no way, those Christians. It's up to each one of us to live righteously, but it's also up to us as a body to be a reflection of God's holiness. We are God's most prized possession. I hope that when you read the word of God, you read it like a love letter. I hope that you don't read it as a list of do's and don'ts and what not to do and what to do. It would change everything if we just continued reading the Bible through the eyes of love, through the eyes of someone who cares, who, who, just, who's, who died to rescue you, who died to save you. It's only until we realize that this is a love letter that we're going to yield and surrender to it. Because no amount of nagging, no amount of pushing, no amount of insisting will bring you to repentance. For you to become living in that way, it's only when you read the word of God as a love letter. Read the word of God through the eyes of someone who's in love with you. And now listen to these words taken from Hosea as a wedding vow from Jesus to you. Jesus says to you, I will make you mine forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine and you will finally know me as your Lord. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. So we know who our bridegroom is, and we know why we must become ready. But how do we do that? Now I want to give you a few practical points. How do we make ourselves ready for this bridegroom Jesus? In, Re in Revelation 19, it says, His bride has made herself ready. That's the day when it will happen. The Lord is waiting for the day where he can say, The bride has made herself ready. And now she will be given to her groom. And that day hasn't yet come. So we continue to do the work. But how do we make ourselves ready? The first thing is we get our oil. I think I've put there somewhere. Get your oil. So like the five wise bridesmaids who prepared themselves, who got their oil. What is the meaning of oil in the Bible? Okay, this again, culturally, we don't need lamps with oil anymore. So it doesn't make sense to us. But in the Bible, oil means the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The radiant bride of Christ will be walking in an abundant anointing of the Holy Spirit. That means that we're connected. We're in communion with God's Spirit. That means that we're abiding in the Spirit, and that's what gives us the fuel to keep burning. Oil in the scripture symbolizes this anointing, as you see in Samuel, where he says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He also, Samuel, took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. 
That means that we should be asking God for a double portion of his spirit. We should be asking God to anoint us with this oil. Let's not be foolish like the bridesmaids who didn't prepare. And on the day of the wedding feast, they were found without it. Do you know that the same way that the Lord has anointed people in the Old Testament with the spirit, he anointed them with the oil, there's also times when God takes away his spirit. It says in the Bible, at one point, God took the spirit away from Saul, and he did not even notice it. There's a time that David said, Lord, take everything away from me. Take all my riches, take all my wealth, take everything I own, but please don't take your spirit from me. If the spirit of God is not in the church, then who are we? If we're just a group of people. If the spirit of God is not here doing a transformative thing, then who are we? And we should be asking as the bride, please don't take your spirit away from me. Give me double portion of your spirit, of your oil, of your anointing. So the bride gets herself ready by preparing her oil. The bride also gets herself ready by the cleansing of the word. That's our next point. Okay, we've read this verse so many times, but notice I've put the bold in other places. So sometimes when you change the emphasis, you read it in a whole different way. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. It was only until I prepared this message in March that I actually read through that whole thing because we always stick to the husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church, the end. Wow, but he did that by giving himself for us to make us holy. The whole point of Jesus dying was to make us holy, was that we would be cleansed by the word. So here God is clearly defining the standard for his bride. Any father wishes for his son to be given to a woman of character, a woman with good reputation, a woman who is godly, a virtuous woman. So too are heavenly fathers waiting for us to be holy and radiant, a suitable match for Jesus. So are we, church, submitting ourselves to the cleansing power of the word to become clean? But if we don't do this, if we're not willing and ready to become cleansed, if we're not willing and ready to become obedient, the sad news is many have believed, but not all have obeyed. And unfortunately, that's not a happy ending for everyone. Not everyone who is engaged will walk down the aisle. Some will be locked out of the wedding feast. The word of God repeats itself and is very clear about this. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. So that's a big one, and I hope that you can chew on that for the rest of the week. And I'm just going to leave you with that because I, we have to have this conversation with the Lord. Are we allowing his word to cleanse us? The last or the penultimate thing about us becoming ready is being a radiant church. And I've spoken about that. The bride who comes in, if she comes in radiant, what a difference. We've all had those wow moments. What is the impact of a radiant bride on her wedding day? Let me show you. It's a very short video, but it's so sweet. You have to watch the impact of a radiant bride.
That's so cute when they're losing it because they're so beautiful. But one of the most beautiful things you can watch is the revealing of a bride. It's what you call the wow moment. Gorgeous, beautiful, glowing. Being a radiant Christian, it means that wherever you go, you're recreating those wow moments. That as a church, when we're acting together and working together, we're recreating those wow moments for the world. That means that we're shining Jesus' light and that we become so captivating. We become so beautiful, so glowing, that the world stops to look at us. That's being a radiant church. So I challenge you that wherever you go, that your joy and your beauty will be contagious. And the fourth thing that we do to become ready is that we live righteously. In Revelation 19, we read, Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure linen to wear, for the fine white linen represents the righteous acts of God's holy people. The ready bride is characterized by her righteous acts. That means that Christ's bride has put her faith into practice. It means that she's applying it to every facet of her life. Here I'm addressing the church, you guys, the church as a body, not as individuals. The church needs to be known for its love, for its sacrifice, for its forgiveness, for its pure intentions. Let us rid ourselves of the sin that so easily entangles, that so easily stains us. If you think of ourselves wearing white, clean, pure linens, the sin that so easily stains us. The bride needs to reflect the groom And that means that our walk with God is of utmost importance. But on that day, it is we who will be presented to God. May our linens be embroidered with our righteous acts, the good deeds of the people of God. It's up to each one of us to prepare ourselves so collectively we are ready when our groom appears. But there's a big, 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 very important detail about all of this. That makes all the difference. Unlike an earthly wedding that is done at an appointed time, on an appointed day, no one knows when our bridegroom will appear. The Lord said in Revelation 16, Behold, I am coming like a thief in the night. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. The Lord says that we have to be ready. So it's up to us if we are ready or if we're not. And I'd love to call up the band And we're going to sing a beautiful song. And that was chosen before anyone knew what I was going to be speaking about. But it's perfect. It's like a wedding day song. It's like a song that we sing to our groom. But I just wanted to say something important. That God doesn't take any pleasure, and he won't take any pleasure, in leaving any of us out. God desires that no one be lost. So I really want to urge you, as individuals, there is nothing that you can do or you have done that can separate you from his love. And that there is still time, there's still grace, that you can be wearing a spotless white robe of righteousness. Take note of Revelation 7.13, and God tells you this exactly the way I've said it. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. So if you're feeling ashamed or embarrassed, or you're thinking, actually, I've done so much, my robe is not white, and there's not anything spotless about me, just Cleanse yourselves by the word of God. God has so much love, so much forgiveness, so much grace. There's still time. 
So I hope that we can examine ourselves, examine our heart, and just ask ourselves the question, am I indeed preparing myself, making myself ready? So a bride who is ready, and that's the next one, a bride who's ready is spirit-filled, she's word-filled, she's holy, radiant, and blameless. She lives a life of righteous acts, and most of all, the bride is sincerely devoted to Jesus, your heavenly bridegroom. So I just pray that as we sing this song to Jesus, that we really commit ourselves to this preparation. You really give yourself over to the transformational work of the Spirit, that you allow yourselves to be made over into this beautiful, glorious, radiant church. And I really pray over Riverside Lisbon, that in this city, in this street, in this building, you will be known as a radiant church, that people here will know you guys for your righteous acts, for the way you love one another, for the way you forgive one another, for the way you help the lost and the needy. That is, the, that is our calling, that is our mission. So I want you to stand up this morning and really speak with Jesus and tell him how much you love him, how much he means to you and everything that you're sorry for. Because that's another thing. We have to ask for forgiveness. How often we have fallen short of the standard. How often we've fallen short of the plan that God has for his church. Lord Jesus, we, for, we ask for forgiveness this morning. We ask for forgiveness for all the times that we didn't make ourselves ready for you. For the times that we're not living according to the standard that you've prepared for us. For all the times that we haven't put you first. We're sorry, Lord, for everything that we've put first in front of you. And we ask, God, for the transformational work of the Holy Spirit to change us, to guide us, to purify us. Make us pure, Lord. Make us holy.